So, um, you heard uh, last week we were in Costa Rica getting dental work done. It's much cheaper down there. Um, and um, <clears throat> so I was tracking what was going down in Asbury University. Uh, I listened to the chapel service uh, that really uh, was on a Wednesday, February 8th. Uh, the dude that spoke was talking about uh, the love of God and how important it is for each one of us to experience that love before we can really love other people. And that's true. You don't know what love is until you experience the love of God yourself. And uh, just kind of challenge a student body to um, experience God's love in a new way. And so after just inviting people who wanted to pray um, to do so. And uh, so anyway, I've got a, let's, okay, um, let, there's another one up there. No, the other one, the other one. There's not another one? All right, let's go back to the first one then. Uh, there's another uh, photograph with people outside facing the chapel, uh, and they're all kneeling. They're all kneeling towards the chapel. I thought we had that, but anyway, um, when I saw that picture, man, it, it just riveted me to see what God is doing in our country. We've been talking about Daniel and how Israel, for 23 years, the Lord had been speaking to the nation to come back to him. And over those 23 years, they kept thinking, I'm cool, man. You know, I'm good spiritually. I don't, I like my position. I like the direction my life is going. And so they, they rejected the call from God. And... Um, We've been talking about the parallel to America, the time that we're in history, 2023. We, I believe, are at the precipice of God's judgment on our nation because when you read what happened in Israel and what's happening in America, uh, we, we could say, yes, we are ripe for God's judgment. And so you would think, well, man, we are so messed up as a country, God maybe folded his hands and said it's too late. But I have to tell you, I've been encouraged um, because it's not just happening at Asbury. It's creeping through a lot of the universities across our nation and other places as well. I'd like to read just a few thoughts here from the president of Asbury. He said that... Um, since the continuous worship service started, it's been going 24-7, nonstop worship. I've witnessed radical humility, compassion, honesty, confession, and life-altering commitments. We are not the keepers of this movement. We are hearing amazing stories across the world. People are hungry, and they're hungry for something more. I think of Matthew 5-6 from Jesus' famous sermon, where he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, 
for they shall be filled. In other words, blessed are those who have a hunger for a right relationship with God and a right relationship with others. They are the ones who leave the table satisfied. And then from a professor from Asbury, he he says why I'm hopeful about the spiritual awakening breaking out in our chapel and its implications for the campus and beyond. Most Wednesday mornings at Asbury are like any other. A few minutes before 10, students begin to gather at Hughes Auditorium for chapel. Students are required to attend a certain number of chapels each semester, so they tend to show up as a matter of routine. Can I say it's easy to get into a routine of coming to church and never letting God do anything in you? It's just a routine. But this past Wednesday was different, February 8th. After the benediction, the gospel choir began to sing a final chorus, and then something began to happen that defies description. Students did not leave. They were struck by what seemed to be a quiet but powerful sense of God's presence, and they did not want to go. They stayed and continued to worship, and they are still there. I teach theology across the street at Asbury Theological Seminary. When I heard of what was happening, I immediately decided to go to the chapel to see for myself. And when I arrived, I saw hundreds of students singing quietly. They were praising and praying earnestly for themselves and their neighbors and our world, expressing repentance and contrition for sin and interceding for healing and wholeness. Some were reading and reciting scripture. Others were standing with arms raised. Several were clustered in small groups praying together. A few were kneeling at the altar rail in the front of the auditorium. Some were lying prostrate, while others were talking to one another, their faces bright with joy. They were still worshiping when I left in the late afternoon and I came back in the evening, and they were still worshiping. When I arrived early Thursday morning, and by mid-morning, hundreds were filling the auditorium again. I have seen multiple students running toward the chapel each day. Excuse me. My nose is running. So when you look at, backing up to these photographs, um, back up uh, there. So I was streaming live what was going on in chapel, listening to the worship, and I was encouraged. Because that's what it was, man, just worship nonstop. When you think on a Sunday morning, you know, we can sing three, four songs and we think it's good for a week, man. Huh? That's why what happens here should happen the other six days of the week in your life. Pursuit. And then you see the altar, people praying. And uh, so anyway, I have experienced that environment. Uh, When I was in college, we had chapel every day. And one day during the preliminaries, a professor got up and he confessed sin in his life. He repented in front of the student body. I'm 
basically saying, I've been playing games spiritually. I'm not who I am, what I've been showing. There's stuff in my life that's hidden. And it was like a, a dam breaking where one after another, another person would come up and confess sin in front of the student body. And it went on for hours. It's a powerful thing. We in America are at a tipping point, I believe. As Israel was at a tipping point, um, I believe God is awakening his church. That's what has to happen first. The church has been compromised terribly. We have questioned the authenticity of God's word. We have compromised our core values from God's word, things that God has spoken. We rationalize why we don't have to believe it. And so the church in America overall has not impacted our country. The country has impacted the church. And that's why when you read of what's going on in Asbury, and listen, uh, there's always going to be critics uh, everywhere, you know? Something, something God's doing, somebody will find a reason why you shouldn't like it. Uh, and you got to just get over it, you know? There were people that didn't like the way Jesus taught and the way he healed and the days he healed people. So that's been ongoing. But I'll tell you this, friends. When young people, Daniel was 15, 16 years old when he was exiled into Babylon. And when you see young people being spiritually awakened, that's powerful. There's a movie out, Jesus Revolution, and it's talking about the, the, the Jesus movement back in the late 60s and early 70s. Debbie, Debbie and I were part of that. That, that impact uh, reached the Midwest from California. It swept from the west to the east. And I, I saw what happened, man. It, 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 uh, it just breathed, it breathed life into God's church. There was a newness. And as you heard this professor saying, students were running to the chapel, man. They had to get there. <laughs> that encourages me. God wants to do something in your life. He wants to do something in my life. We have to say yes to that. I've been reading uh, Eric Metax's book, Letter to the American Church. And this parallels Israel and the United States. And in it, he, he says that very thing. Metaxas says, uh, Germany in the 1930s is where the United States is right now. And um, he says, to tell this story, we must begin at the end of 1932 and two months before Hitler became chancellor when Dietrich Bonhoeffer gave a certain sermon in a certain church in Berlin. And um, 
let's take a look at his church, by the way. That, that is the um, Kaiser Wilhelm Memorial Church. And it was one of those churches in Germany that the affluent would go to on Sunday because they would want to be seen there. there. It would help their social status. It would be, wow, man, that dude goes to that church. How cool is that? So instead of going to church because they wanted to meet with God, they went to church to see each other and pat each other on the back on how cool they were and how good they were as a person. So on November 6, 1932, Reformation Sunday, that's when they honored Luther, Bonhoeffer gave a sermon that really was prophetic. He said, at the Kaiser Church, a place where anyone who is anyone in certain circles in Berlin society would wish to be seen and be thought of as part of the elite in crowd, the time and place. Dietrich Bonhoeffer saw the real estate, the real state of the German church, and it horrified him. He knew that when the German church had become so comfortable that it ceased to see what it really means to follow Christ, Danger was at hand. Bonhoeffer understood that if everyone who loved Germany was automatically thought of as a Christian, almost as a birthright, then the heart of the Christian faith had become meaningless. This is what was what he saw on display in that Reformation Day celebration. Bonhoeffer was aware that at that moment in Germany, the tribalist pagan forces that put German pride ahead of God were rising, and on that day of all days, he knew he must speak out about it. He knew he must help the people to see that, and only then might they repent, turn from their, that precipice, and save themselves from going over. They must see that Hitler's brand of German nationalism was a wicked perversion of healthy nationalism. It was a kind of nationalism that was the sworn enemy of Christianity and of Christ, And if they did not see that, the results would be catastrophic. And so that day, Bonhoeffer delivered a sermon. Rather than stroke the egos of those German elites slumbering in their pews, Bonhoeffer's sermon was calculated to wake them up if they were still able to be awakened. And it wasn't too late. If the church did not arise as that true church of Jesus Christ, but only continued to play at having church tragedy, was looming. Would God not judge the German church just as he had judged the people of Israel when they had forgotten him? Bonhoeffer knew from scriptures that if the people of God did not act like the people of God, God sent his prophets. But if the prophet's warning went unheeded, judgment fell. And so the young preacher did that day what the prophets had done in Israel millennia before. He warned God's people of what he saw, hoping that they might see it too, and repent before it was too late. In any case, people were wondering whether this young man was serious. They could read the biblical text that he had chosen that morning. The full text was from Revelation 2, 4 through 5. Let's look at that together. Jesus says, I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you have fallen. 
Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. That was his text. These were the chilling words of Jesus to the church at Ephesus. He was warning his people, just as he had done with the Israelites in the Old Testament, that if they did not heed his warning, terrible judgments would fall. So Bonhoeffer that day, in using that scripture in all that he said, was not pulling his punches. Unless the German church saw where it stood and repented, God would judge it. Unless it stopped playing church as it was doing that day and got serious about sincerely living out its faith, the results would be gruesome. So what happened? We might have guessed it did not have anything close to the young preacher's intended effect. The congregation left their pews and continued behaving as they had always had. Just like they did in Israel. They did not repent. Three months after Bonhoeffer's sermon on January 31st, 1933, Adolf Hitler came to power as the chancellor of the German nation. Though he was wisely coy about the details, he was nonetheless deeply dedicated to fundamentally changing Germany. This meant bringing everything in German life, including the German church, into line with Nazi doctrines. And as Bonhoeffer tried to wake up the German church leaders, he was constantly battling with people who simply could not see the changing situation or accept that it was changing. They were not alive to the urgency of the situation. These were the same people who were convinced they could not continue as they had always done, who believed that would suffice and that was the path forward. They refused to see the new situation and to act accordingly. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, as you may know, wrote The Cost of Discipleship. It's a great book. And he says, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. In other words, you die to yourself. We just sang about that all my life. All my days have it all, right? Is that right, friends? All my days, all my life have it all. And so we die to self, we die to what we want. And so I, I am encouraged um, by the grace of God on our nation right now. And you don't have to go to Asbury or these other places where God is working. God is doing some cool stuff here, friends. But as, as a congregation, as a people of God, as part of his body, we have to fight against routine of becoming comfortable in coming to church. We're coming to church so God can radically change us from the inside out. So the spirit of the living God can cut into those hardened hearts and hearts of stone that so easily... Hey, how easy is that? Hmm? How quick that can happen? And so... Last Saturday, we were flying 
back to the U.S. and we could only get into Orlando, Florida. And so it was late and we were looking for a hotel and there were no hotel rooms. Why? Nobody told us that the Daytona 500 race was the next day. <laughs> all, the, all the rental cars were gone. And I have to tell you, my initial response was, I don't like this, man. It's not fair. You know, I deserve a hotel room. Right? Isn't that interesting? Huh? How that is? You know, that battle raging. And, and so I had to talk to myself. Bob, I'm taking you into exile <laughs> for a night. You're going to whine about it. You're going to complain about it. You're going to get your violin out and play a sad, sad story, you know, on how life isn't fair. See, I had, I had to talk to myself and I, my mind went to Daniel. And I realized, you know what? God is still in control. And he's going to be with us in the Orlando International Airport all night long. <laughs> and it's okay. You see that? I'm telling you that because I'm telling you, there was a battle going on in the inside of me, man, as a man. You know? And you and I face those battles every single day. How we choose how we're going to respond to it. You know? Do we believe God is with us? Do we believe that God has his hand on our lives? Eh? Something good question to ask, so... I don't want to stay the same. Is my time with the Lord continues year after year. I realize I'm not the same person inside. Things that I would watch They weren't bad, bad, but I can't watch it anymore. I don't feel comfortable. It's not that I can't. It's because God's love keeps growing. I don't want to hurt him. I want to represent him well so he could sit next to me and go where I go. And listen to what I listen to. And hear the vocabulary that comes out of my mouth. Is it honoring to him? See? That's the cool thing, man. As Daniel, <clears throat> as a teenager, as Dietrich Bonhoeffer in Germany, in a hostile environment, he was later arrested by the Gestapo, put in a concentration camp and hung in March 1945, just before the war ended. It cost him his life. He stood for the cause of Christ, friends. And so this morning,
Our prayer is for Life Church to stay hungry for God, to hunger and thirst for righteousness, to allow His Holy Spirit to speak into us, to convict us, to challenge us. And like those students at Asbury and other places, confess our sin, repent of our sin, don't carry it any longer, and walk in freedom. That's why those dudes are running to the chapel, because they're walking in freedom. (laughs) It is so cool to walk in freedom, friends where the enemy does not have a chain on you. And um, I'm grateful for the grace of the Lord. Let's pursue him together. Let's encourage each other to press on with the Lord together. And so, Father, we thank you today. As we look at the church in Germany in 1932, Lord, the pride, the arrogance that it had, very similar to Israel, really very similar to Babylon when Daniel was there. And I pray, Lord, as you're breathing life across this country, spiritual life into young people, into adults that maybe have allowed that relationship with you to cool, to drift, to allow the world to dictate our core values. Lord, will you forgive us this morning? We don't want to grieve you, Lord. We don't want to bring pain to you because we realize how much you love us. so grateful I pray you'll pour your love into your people the people here those watching online will you pour your love into them now Lord you so desperately need your love and we know that when that love is poured in it exposes sin in our lives as well and so we confess that sin to you this morning All our lives, Lord, all our days have it all. Lord, our hands are open. We're not holding on. We're not grabbing on. We're letting it go. one of us 
awaken us spiritually, Lord. Do a new work. Put the blade through the hard ground, the hard soil right now. you do it. Oh God. Oh God, we need you. We hunger and thirst for you, Lord.